Ladies and gentlemen, prepare to unleash the beast. I'm Kent Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barton. And this is man about family. Da, 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 da. You sound insane. Do you realize that? Oh, yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Mad About Movies is your go-to show for all things cinema. Every week, we talk movie news, movie rumors, and rumblings, and break down a chosen movie of the week. But don't worry if you haven't seen it, because we will warn you before adding any spoilers. Stay tuned till the end for weekly recommends, in which we suggest something you need to check out as soon as possible. And if you would like to keep the show going, you can do so by donating at our website, madaboutmoviespodcast.com. This week's chosen film of the week is what, Brian? This week, we're going to be talking about Furious 7. Shaw lives in a world that doesn't play by your rules. Like it or not, you and your friends are a part of it now. I don't have friends. I got family. This film is a long time coming. This is much highly anticipated on this podcast. Is this our second or third Fast and Furious film? It's technically it's technically the second, but okay. I feel like we we talk about it a lot just because that's what you know, smart people do. We should do a fast five throwback or just a retrospective on all seven. So far. we should. Yeah. You're talking about you and Brian, right? <laughs> yeah. You and Brian yeah. should. I'll sit back and uh, interject <laughs> with uh, hilarious commentary. So we'll go into, of course, specifics about furious seven, uh, what it means to this franchise and to the world really. And <laughs> we'll of course reiterate how it's going to influence the 2016 election. Right. A lot of different thoughts. Yeah, the the geopolitical landscape is completely changed at this point. During that time, we can reinforce our thoughts on the previous six films. Mm. And uh, so prepare for a two and a half hour podcast tonight, guys, <laughs> which comes yeah. close to the running time of Furious 7. That's yeah. another talking point. But man, excited for this one. This movie means a lot to a lot of people, obviously, mm. with a $150 million debut Jeez. in the U.S. this past weekend. Which, according to the official statistics, ranks ninth all time yeah. in opening Not weekend. Bad. Not, Not bad. bad. <laughs> Just okay, I mean. And Not bad considering this franchise was headed straight to DVD less than 10 years ago. So Right. And, and it's made, I believe, $360 million worldwide this weekend <laughs> so far. So it's on pace to be the biggest movie of all time. So <laughs> good job, guys. Um, I applaud you. Yeah, I'm talking about you two because yeah, y'all, you're, you're, y'all have talked pretty much all of your friends and <laughs> colleagues into liking this series, yeah. including take, myself. Take that, James Cameron. Yes, <laughs> screw We're you. For you. We're coming for the belt. But we have some business to take care of, guys. Before we dive into furious talk, uh, let's talk a little bit of movie news. Movie news. Yes. Rumors and rumbling. That's awesome. Let the filibustering begin. So while we were at the MacGruberthon. Last week, we got a chance a little bit to talk some TV news, some reboots that have been uh, greenlit, some things that are coming back to the air. One of those being the X-Files, which I have I have started my little X-Files binge on Netflix. Still on Netflix for the time being, so if you're an X-Files fan and you want to catch up before this summer's, uh, this summer's reboot or six-episode reboot, you still have a little bit of time to do that. Uh, I speak as of Sunday night. Uh, April the 5th. So 
maybe about a week left, I would say, for that. Usually on Saturdays is when they take stuff down. So have fun watching the X-Files. We also talked to Coach, which is making its return. <laughs> Weirdly. <laughs> I'm considering ending the shows instead of uh, Frasier theme with Coach theme from now on. Just mm. in honor of our, our past traditions. Maybe we should rotate it. Different 90s sitcom themes every like two months. Maybe we should. But I'm pretty satisfied with, with Brazier for now. Yeah, oh. me too. But it'll be great if people fall. I oftentimes fall asleep with a podcast on. Yeah, exactly. People fall asleep to our dulcet tones talking about Vin Diesel and Paul Walker and then see you at the cinema. Like just terrible. Make sure the mix is horrible and it's super loud no matter what. I will. I'll make sure and do that. But oddly, Coach is returning. So this past week, we got some more news regarding other shows making their returns. And we had a little bit of a debate via text message about one of these. Turns out this has been a rumor for a while. Uh, There was a Super Bowl commercial that was shot, I believe, last year where some spies saw them shooting a Super Bowl commercial. And so rumors started floating around that Full House was making a return to television. Uh, 90s classic Full House, I should say. And... While not completely true, uh, rumors are true in one regard. Full House is coming back, but instead of TV or network television or cable television or HBO, Full House is coming to Netflix. HBO is where it really belongs. (laughs) It'd be great if it came back super (laughs) TV. Bob Saget got to be himself. Well, they're all like 30 now, including the kids. So it would... uh, it would be more appropriate, I think, or more realistic in the, in that. How sense. mother boop, rude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Netflix, Full House. It, I think it's interesting to note that I don't think Full House, the original series, is on Netflix. Yeah, I think you're right. So it's it's interesting to say. Usually, there are some analytics that go into this. Like, okay, the original series is the most watched series on Netflix. We should try to bring it back. You know, like they did with Arrested Development. I right. feel like the yeah. uh, their first three seasons were on Netflix and it was killing as far as um, the numbers go. Yeah. And of course, they well, like justified 90, it. 95% of Arrested Development viewers discovered Arrested Development on Netflix. No one watched right. it when it yeah, was on, exactly. except for me. It was just me. And me. It's, and, yeah, and, 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 yeah, and it's and funny. Three, three people at school that I, I forced to watch it, like tape their eyes open and stuff. But, I mean, usually there's more justification for bringing back a show than – Hey, we all used to like this show. We should bring it back. Yeah, and and that seems to be the case with Full House. It's and, some nostalgia because you wonder. You you sit there and you think like you know whatever happened to predictability? You know the Milkman, the Paperboy, and Evening TV. You just miss. <laughs> you just end up missing your old familiar friends, and then you turn on Netflix and they're just waiting just around the bend, and you're like, this is nostalgia. Right. You know, you know how that feeling is, Kent. Yeah, yeah. No, I know the feeling, and, and I I've everywhere you look, there's a heart, man. I've caught myself watching Full House reruns in the past, and my only question is, I know John Stamos is still pretty big, and I know Bob Saget's tried his turn at a lot of different, uh, in a lot of different mediums post America's Funniest Home Videos and Full House. You know, he's tried the raunch comedy stand-up thing. Don't know how that, how well that's worked, but I hear he's a pretty good stand-up comedian. Yeah, how about your mother too? Right. Yeah. Yeah, he did. 
he was the the narrator on that if i if i believe so if correct. i believe correctly older ted mosby right and so it's hard to to think what a 2015 full house could be or will be if they if they stay with the three camera that's that's what worries me i think they could make it more of a modern family type yeah show i mean what do you guys think about that to me that's the only way it could be good it could be successful in a lot of different formats at least marginally successful netflix successful you know but uh if they got some smart writers and got some really funny people in the room, I could see how you could do kind of almost like a, a, mo- a modern family spoof, uh, uh-huh. but, but play it a little bit straighter than that. And I think that could be interesting if they go three camera and try to recreate the quote unquote magic of the original series. I think you're looking at Mulaney basically right. Just <laughs> something that unfunny yeah. and not inspired. I, th- I think, Look, I mean, there's a couple ways they could go out after this, and I think you can look at G- Girl Meets World as a certain example, mm-hmm. where wherein you realize that these reruns of Full House are they're getting whatever it is, 1.2 million viewers every night. Uh, I, I, I would imagine that a lot of that 1.2 million isn't Kent, Richard, and Brian. I mean, it right. is some of we watch it, and Sarah watches it, and I'm sure Lindsay watches it. Yeah, some, but like most of it, or a lot of it, are probably. 14-year-old girls. And so one way you could do it and make it successful is like Girl Meets World did, which is essentially make a kid show. So you would right. you would probably put DJ has kids and DJ's the mom and they live with wacky grandpa and his heterosexual life partner John Stamos and his wife or something, you know, you would make it about a new generation of kids to to replace the Stephanie DJ and Michelle characters. And just basically do a kids show all over because that Full House at the end of the day is kind of a family kids show. Mm-hmm. So I th- I think if they are going to do the three camera thing, I think you make it centric on another generation of kids, and then have everyone else fill the adult roles. And you would probably have some success with the eight to fourteen year old kid crowd, which matters. You can, I would say you can sell advertising, but it's Netflix, so it's weird. I agree with you about you know if you're going to reboot it, make it more. Uh, aim towards kids, a Disney Channel crowd. But I don't agree with the fact that the people watching it now are sub-14-year-old kids. I, I I don't think kids will give a, an old show a chance at all. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I think saying? you're right in principle, but I know a lot of kids that still know their full house. It's weird. It has this weird... I'm not going to ask any. I'm not going to ask deep into how you know kids. That <laughs> I know Look, a lot of kids that just love Full House. When I when I cruise the high school yeah. in my Camaro, they're watching Full House. No, but they there is this weird thing where I feel like they the millennials speak Full House in a weird way, kind of like they did with Boy Meets World. Those two shows, for some reason, have grown their audience. And it's bizarre to me. They're good shows. They're yeah. fine. But why not hang with Mr. Cooper, man? <laughs> right. Why that's, does Mr. Cooper have to die? I mean, that's <laughs> that's why I'm just a little confused because, you know, there's I, I would like to see the, like I said, the analytics or ratings numbers for demographic even especially uh, just to know why they brought this back. And uh, we we talked about before we came on the air. The fact that the Olsons probably won't be involved, or at least one Olson, because all it takes is one Olson at this point. 
uh, child labor laws are not strict to where you can only <laughs> use Mary Kate or Ashley. Uh, so I guess they could get away with hiring one Olsen, but uh, that's probably I, I play probably, them against each other. Mary yeah. Kate says you won't do it. Maybe like Michelle has a has an evil twin or a split personality, and you could get, you feature Mary Kate and Ashley on the it would show. Be great if they both wanted to do it, and they just both played Michelle again as adults. Right, that's what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> and but they didn't ever acknowledge it or anything. Like her hair just changes color from scene to scene. They're like, sorry, we both want that money. Yeah, you know, I I think they're past it. So I I don't. Maybe they would do a cameo or something, but I don't see either Olsen. No, I don't see him as acting. a series regular, but I think no. they they would appear. I would yeah. imagine they would appear, like how Eric Matthews is going to show up next year on Girl Meets World. Like, I think I th- I know that cast is really close still. Like they're all in each other's weddings still. It's bizarrely like close. And it, the, the thing is, is how are they going to work this around Dave Coulier's schedule? Exactly, because he's booked doing Bullwinkle across the country in arenas. <laughs> And <laughs> how are you going to work around that? I don't, I don't know. Is there anyone less funny than Dave Coulier? That's a professional comedian. I don't, I've never seen his act, but I just like, he always played a comedian on the show. When you watch full house and you, they would like go, sometimes show his stand up bits and you were like, and they may have just been the ones that were cleaned up for family TV. It's like, wow, uncle Jesse's funnier than uncle Joe. This is kind of <laughs> depressing. Oh, there is. And his name is Carlos Mencia. I don't know if you've ever heard or seen him. But it's, just, it's a toss-up. More of a Jody Sweeten and Candace Cameron Bure fan, so that's what I'm tuning in to see. Hopefully they work in the meth. You know, Jody Sweeten had the meth problem. Work that in a little bit. Yeah. I, like I said, I'm interested to see where they go with it. But there are other shows that I think could come back and should before Full House. Family um, Matters. Family Matters. Uh, Fresh Prince. I mean, Will Smith. <laughs> Will Smith needs a boost. Uh, Fresh Prince. I, I, I speak for friends of mine who would love to see Saved by the Bell come back. And they some, always hint at it. In some form or fashion. Yeah. Where there are teachers at their old high school. I would like to see that. Yeah. That one seems almost likely, assuming yeah. they could get Dustin Diamond out of legal trouble. Right. You don't. Uh, yeah. I don't think that's the thing. It's like, I think the rest of Saved by the Bell is like, we will do it as long as you can keep him legally a hundred feet from the set. <laughs> Lark Vuries too. Like we'll just yeah. She she didn't even show up for the the uh, Fallon thing. Yeah, a few I know. Weeks ago. Yeah, I probably because she looks really weird. I don't know. It's it's, it's weird how her and Renee Zellweger sh- share a plastic surgeon. <laughs> They're completely different looking than they once were. I think. Yeah, I don't know about this whole. It's we lived in the golden era of sitcoms when we were kids. The nineties, yeah. yeah. the holy grail of this, right, is Friends. Yeah, right. I think right. And so, I, and do you think you think maybe there's the the whole they you know they put Friends on Netflix, which has been great. Yeah. I've been rewatching and all that stuff. I wonder if there's some sort of we're just gonna kind of lay the lay, lay the groundwork here, just yeah. a little bit, just in case. I think so. It would be weird. They always talk about a movie, and it'd be like, well, no, yeah. because it, friend single camera would be very jarring. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, like, the only way it comes back, but I don't think NBC would let that happen, because it's like, that one would get a massive rating. I, yeah. I, you don't think they would let it happen? Oh, they would let mean, it happen on Netflix. Right. No, I don't think they would on Netflix. I think NBC would 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 agree to pay the cast of Friends each a million dollars an episode again to come back. Like, you know, do one season even. 
Yeah, I, I think they would do it. Thirteen but, episodes. Yeah, I love I love the way Friends ended though. I don't know how much it would soil the legacy at all, but no one's really doing anything except Aniston and and Courtney Cox is just on Cougar Town. Which, by the way, Cougar Town is in like its eighth season or something. It just yeah. ended. Just had its series finale, which I saw the last five minutes of. Eight yeah, seasons. I just, I just watched the. I'd never seen a really a single episode, and I caught the last ten minutes ever of Cougar Town. It was like uh, really historic. It was like seeing the end of World War Two, um, <laughs> signing of the Treaty of Versailles or whatever. Um, Only no, less was, nuclear death. No, yeah. just kidding. Her face is becoming. Uh, Lark Vurian, uh, it is, Cox's yeah. is. It's very terrifying. Joey's got episodes. The one you never see anymore is Schwimmer, and I feel like he had the best chance of like going on the other stuff, but he just hasn't because he's so good. Yeah. When you rewatch Friends, he is such a good comic actor. He was great on Curb. Like Schwimmer's the man, underutilized. He is. He's great. Andy he- Perry's got Odd Couple probably for the next ten years though. So. Yeah, I think I, more than more than any of the others, more than you know, Aniston or even mm-hmm. Lisa Kudrow. I think Schwimmer had the more "you're Ross Geller forever" syndrome. Yeah. You know, like yeah, people will totally never true. disassociate yeah. him with with friends. Am I? Am I? We were on a break. <laughs> people screaming that to him every day of his life. I guarantee you. Um, they did that little reunion on Jimmy Kimmel last year. Just the female members of the cast, Aniston, Kudrow, and uh, Mrs. Cox. And they were, like, crying on yeah. on it. Like, when they when they all three got on the set, they all started, like, tearing up and stuff because of how much they missed the show and and being on Friends and stuff. So I, I like you said, Brian, I would, I think I'll, I'll be all for it. I think it, it happens back. at some yeah. point. At some point. Golden uh, Friends. It'll be like the reunion. Old. If If not... <laughs> If not bringing it back, a reunion would be would be great. Speaking of Netflix, though, there's been some news regarding a bidding war that's gone on uh, on these streaming services, uh, including Netflix, and that is to bring another '90s sitcom back. The dinosaurs. Uh, oh, hopefully. oh man, I love me some dinosaurs. Though we, we need to do a was, rants and raves dinosaurs. Gosh. <laughs> I was so pumped for dinosaurs when I was a kid. Like when they were advertising yeah. that, I cannot tell you how excited I was for that show. Well, you were the baby. So <laughs> the funny thing is, you. people always assume that it was like, yeah, didn't that wasn't that like four episodes? No, like four seasons. Like it was a, a long, like tenured sitcom. Like no, you know how expensive that must have been, and they were like, oh god, we built these robotic sets, so we got to ride this out till we break even. Yeah, it, it went four seasons, 91 to 94. 65 episodes. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, I had no idea. I Only had no 35 idea. short of syndication. Gosh, That's really Jessica the tragedy. Walter, jeez. Man, what a trade-up for her. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. To land Archer? She, I know. She, landed, yeah. <laughs> she got Archer and Arrested Development. So yeah. I've never heard of the second one, but I'm a huge <laughs> Archer guy. I was speaking of the 90210 reboot, but that's, you know, that's fine. Are you really into Archer, Richard? Yeah. No. Oh, dude, it's so good. Freaking classic. You should watch more Archer. It would uh it would better your life. One time I was on a uh I walked in on the end of a business meeting a friend of the podcast Corey Wynn. So, I, we were like meeting for a happy hour or something, but he was closing up a little business at the same place before as I was getting there. So, I just kind of sat there and ordered something and was kind of listening to him on his sales pitch and he's talking to this like 60-year-old man and Corey references Archer and the guy's like, "Yeah, I 
I don't know what that is. And Corey's like, what? You don't watch Archer? <laughs> and like was so belligerent about it. Did like six laps around the mountain of, no, you watch. I mean, no, you know what it is. And the guy's like, I'm 61 and a half. Like, I, I don't. And Corey and his brother just both going back and forth like, I've never met anyone that doesn't watch Archer. Just couldn't comprehend. That it wasn't the biggest show of all time. So that day I decided I was never going to watch it, Kent. But your recommendation means a lot, so I'll give it a shot. It really is a great freaking I, show. I'm sure it's funny. It was just so it's funny. It's on seventh season right was, now. Yeah. You would think it was like, I don't know, ER in its heyday. Yeah. Like the biggest <laughs> show ever. And they were just like, <sighs> what? <laughs> it does have the... Uh, Such a funny... It does have um, O'Malley candidate Chris Parnell... Uh, who I'm a big oh, fan of. I love love, yeah, love Chris back, and, and Miss Judy Greer. Yeah, who is backing lovely. it up. Uh, the uh, Mark Paul Glossinger, whatever his name is, Zach uh-huh. Zach from uh, Say by the Bell. Yeah, definite yeah. O'Malley candidate. Totally huge yeah. O'Malley candidate. Exactly. What I was getting at before we went on a dinosaur slash Archer tangent was. Um, there's a bidding war happening right now for '90s classic sitcom Seinfeld to come to streaming. Not familiar. Is that like an Archer? <laughs> that an Archer prequel? Basically, this more, or less, yeah. more or less. And uh, so, it, it's just funny to see this bidding war happen between Amazon Prime, Hulu, and yeah. Netflix. And don't forget Crackle. And because they've got the inside leg with they uh, do they do actually have yeah. they would have to offer it for free though because it's not a paid service it's a free service uh, okay. true so n- not a lot of profit would be in it for them but apparently the asking price it's unbelievable to think uh but the the asking price for friends was i think 150 no it was 150 thousand dollars an episode and uh so there were i don't know how many hundreds of episodes there were of friends but the asking price for seinfeld just for the rights to stream online is half a million dollars per episode wow so every two episodes they made of the show is a million dollars um, going basically straight to Jerry and Larry, David, <laughs> uh, just for the rights to stream. And I'm, I'm, ne- I'm hoping that money makes Larry happy finally. Right. <laughs> I think well, it they, will. They haven't each made like a billion dollars since <laughs> since Seinfeld went off the air, which is true, by yeah, the way. They like each yeah. made a billion dollars uh, in in syndication money, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> Look at this, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that—I mean—that was just a crazy little tidbit I'd like to share. I, you know, the word hasn't come down on who won. I believe I think Amazon will pull the trigger on it because they really have nothing as far as exclusivity in that regard. You know, Netflix has Friends, Hulu has everything yeah. basically, and uh, I think Netflix is fine with Friends. They can draw a lot of a lot of people just oh, for having sure. shows like Friends on the air. So. I think- have you noticed? Because I watch this, I watch Seinfeld every day, pretty much. Yeah, uh, on TBS. But do you, have you noticed, Kent, that it's only like the same thirty episodes? Um, I think it's weird lately. Like I've been watching every day for about six months, and I've only seen probably forty episodes. Wow. No, I I, I used just, to think they and they're were... all the great ones, so it's great watching them all the time. But it's like, come on. I felt little... like they went chronologically for a while. Okay. At least when I used to watch on syndication, but. If you're a Seinfeld fan, you gotta get the gotta get the uh, cl- complete series on DVD. I know. Richard. I what need you? to. You need to start from episode one and watch the entire series. Uh, you you gotta. I would do love that. to do that. do that. Do that when it comes to streaming. But just wanted to say on the podcast that Seinfeld is coming to streaming. Exciting, and 
Brian needs to get on get on board. He'll yeah, never Seinfeld's roll. great. Seinfeld's great. I love Seinfeld. I just I don't I don't love it the way you guys love it. The way the average I don't know. It's just not one of my five favorite shows of all time. Have, what, question for you, Brian, and this is true yeah. though, because I was kind of in your camp. Like I liked it a lot, but it didn't really hit me. Yeah. But have you watched it since you've been like over twenty five? Yeah, I mean, I you know okay. I catch it on because it did get a lot funnier. Yeah, it did get a lot no, totally. funnier to me the last. Few I years. absolutely agree. I did not understand it really when I was yeah. twenty or whatever. Yeah. But no, I, I, it's a it's a brilliant show. I don't want to take anything away from Seinfeld. It's just not. It's not a show that I have to be in the the right, sure. the right place to be able to sit and watch it. I don't think I could ever binge that show the same way that I can friends or even arrested development or something like that. Like it, it, it wears on me after three or four episodes. It's just, it's, it's just too much whining. That's all. Yeah. I come home a lot of times and pour a bowl of cereal and watch Seinfeld. I feel so cool. <laughs> I always wish someone like Kent would just burst through my door and then we could get into an adventure, but it never happens. I end up just reading and going to bed. Maybe, maybe it'll happen, Aww. Richard. Aww. It is funny when no, producer both. Steven and I talk and we get into it. I'm always like, this is so Jerry. And he's such a Costanza, little Steven. Yeah. Oh, he is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's, uh, we'll be sitting at a diner talking. I'm like, man, this is great. This, he's, the, the, the best, <laughs> the best arc in the whole, the whole series is when they get a show on NBC, you know, yeah. so meta to be a show within a show about <laughs> yeah. nothing. And they get a show on NBC and it's just Jerry and, and George in the diner. Talking and like, this should be a show. This right here. It's like, what? This? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> this would never be a show. One of the most underrated ones. Sorry, I won't keep doing this, but can I? I don't get to talk Seinfeld with you enough. The one where George has the carpenter come in and build him a nap area under his yes, desk yeah. was on the other day. Yeah. That's an underrated classic. Yeah. 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 That's a great one. I that's, want that built yeah. really bad. That'd be a cool desk in your house, an exact replica of George Costanza's nap desk. You know what I've always said? If I'm a, a millionaire, I'm gonna buy. I'm gonna buy a custom, like a floor of a, of a, uh, a you know, a penthouse, a floor of a, of a, of a t- <laughs> yeah. skyscraper, and just build Jerry's apartment, just <laughs> like to scale and and live in it. And how awesome would that be? Like you just date walks in, and all of a sudden you're in Jerry's apartment, or. Or you build Central Park like as your living <laughs> as your living room, you know. Great idea. They did Great that idea. when they brought Friends to Netflix. They they did a pop up shop of Central Park. I always I thought that. that would be genius for NBC yeah. to like buy real estate in New York and open Central Park like as a working restaurant. Yeah, it's like how Cheers Cheers made a ton of money in Boston yeah. forever. Yeah. And and uh, there's two or three Cheers bars in Boston, but uh, I, well, I think they were there originally. But then they certainly started capitalizing on the on the uh, on the show. But I think yeah, Central Park would be. I, I I mean, it's touristy as it would be. People would totally go. Oh, I would. All right, guys. Speaking of Gunther from Friends, <laughs> let's move on. Let's talk American Treasures. For those of you who don't know, listeners, we have a little Hall of Fame on our website called American Treasures. These people are people that we think define what is great about the American cinematic landscape. Uh, we have two requirements. Uh, they're an, it's an either-or. You either have to be uh, 50 years old or you have to have worked in the business for at least 25 years. And we have three categories. We have the American Treasures, the North American Treasures, and Public Figures. 
So it's pretty self-explanatory. But really, the only one requirement we have is these people have to have a sense of humor about themselves. And we will go into that, of course, when nominees are brought to the table. And you can view the entire list on our website at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. And so this week, I will let Brian Gill start things off. Brian, who's your nominee for American Treasure? I'm going to bring – I think this is an easy one. So I'm glad you're starting with me. I, th- I, th- I think this is unanimous and we, we really – I probably don't even have to make my case. But just just to follow the rules of, of how we do this sort of thing, uh, a listener suggested this great American fairly recently. And it was a revelation to me that he was over 50 for whatever reason. I had him pegged as like late 40s and didn't think he was eligible yet. Uh, but as soon as, as it was made aware that uh, he did in fact qualify for American treasure status – I felt like uh, we, we, we need to get this one done as quickly as possible. So uh, he has played one of the, I would say, one of the three or four greatest TV characters in the history of television. Uh, he is a tremendously talented comedian and a serious actor. Uh, he recently garnered an Academy Award nomination, so that helps. He is hilarious in real life and has an incredible sense of humor about himself. I think that's a given. I don't think that's up for debate at all. So I'm going to bring to the table American treasure, Steve Carell. Hmm. Richard. Yeah. I discovered Steve Carell when I was in seventh grade, I was watching the daily show, right? When John Stewart had taken it over and it was the election of 2000 and they took these two guys out and they sent them out to both the conventions and it was Steve Carell and Steve, Stephen Colbert. And it was so much as brilliant as both of them went on to be. It was so much funnier because no one knew who they were. And they both looked exactly like local newscasters. And they both pretended to be local newscasters and just messed with Democrats and Republicans at the convention for two weeks. And it was some of the funniest TV ever. And it's not on YouTube, which drives me insane. So I, I, he was uh, a big – I was a big fan then. And then uh, my friend Chase, who's actually Kent's cousin, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I were – he was a Colbert nut and I was a Corel nut all the way through high school. And we used to debate on which was better and talk about even Steven, all that stuff. And then right when I graduated high school, the office happened. And, uh, and then we got to see, I think the best acting performance in any sitcom ever. Uh, now he's doing all kinds of great, uh, theatrical work across uh, a variety of, of genres. And, he does have a great sense of humor himself. He seems like such a nice, uh, affable human being. So absolutely. American Treasure Steve Carell, I'm in. I mean, Michael Scott alone is enough of a resume. But uh, but there's more to that, too. Brick Tamlin and several other great characters. Like Little Miss Sunshine, I think. A lot of people are down on that movie. I think it's a great movie. and I think he's great in it. And uh, he's, he's wonderful. So, yeah. So he gets in. The rules go, if two out of the three of us vote somebody in... Then, then that person is an American treasure. I would have voted yes too. Surprising to know that he was uh, over the age of fifty, Brian. Yeah. So I glad no you looked into that. Where was yeah. he born? He's a Boston guy, I think. Right? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I, mean, I think he's a Boston guy. Ago. Yeah, Concord, Massachusetts. That's yeah. basically Boston. Gotcha. I guess I have no idea. <laughs> it's a small state. It's got to be with it. It's some. If it's in the state, yeah. it has to be within fifty miles of Boston, right? Right. Yeah. You know, he's had a great career so far and a legendary career at that just from TV. But, you know, something like Foxcatcher comes out, catches everybody's eye. I just can't wait to see what the next 10 years hold for a, a guy like Steve Carell, an actor like Steve Carell. Totally. Yeah. I put the call in at about season two of The Office. I was like, he's going to win an Academy Award one day, I think, because he's 
the, the nuances of Michael Scott fascinate me as someone who's done very low level acting before the, the fact that he can do what he does as that character, I think is so underappreciated mm-hmm. and small and big at the same time. And just like I said, insanely nuanced. So he, he can do anything. I think he's one of our most gifted actors. I truly believe that who happens to be really funny. I feel the same way about Steve Martin. And I think if the material is there, he will act it well. So I, right. I, if, as long as he chooses some, some good films in the next 10 years, sky's the limit. Yeah, he's had a couple of stinkers in his career, but really what, yeah. what actor hasn't at this point? So you can't really hold that against him. I think for The Office alone makes him an American treasure. Yeah. But, you know, 40-Year-Old Virgin was huge. You know, that, that might be his biggest. Heaven Almighty, massive. <laughs> I mean, Despicable Me is is absolutely huge too, and he's the lead actor or lead voice in in Despicable, Despicable Me, which we had a uh, we we were taught that Despicable Me was huge by a, a, a kind listener who definitely uh, had it out when I ramped ranted uh, about the Minions <laughs> a couple weeks ago. So we got we have uh, Minion sympathizers amongst us, which is which is always good. But he has had a great career so far and I like I said yeah. I can't wait to see where he goes from here. So I'm going to bring somebody to the table who has been an actor for an extremely long time, longer than you would actually think. And he is somebody who just in the past couple of years or past 4 or 5 years has really made a name for himself uh, as far as the uh, public eye goes. He's somebody who definitely has a sense of humor about himself. He likes Steve Carell, Brian. Uh, has played one of the most iconic characters, uh, I think, in television history. But he's somebody that I ha- I was a huge fan of uh, before his, I guess, breakout role um, made him what he is today. So I'm going to bring to the table American treasure Brian Cranston. Oh, nice, nice. Let me let me state my case. So Brian Cranston uh, is, of course, Walter White from Breaking Bad which was his breakout role, but he is an accomplished actor and has been throughout his career. He's a, he's a Seinfeld alum, uh, Dr. Tim Watley, the dentist. He was yes. great on Seinfeld, had a little fling with uh, American treasure, Julia <laughs> Louis-Dreyfus on the show, Miss Elaine Bennis. And uh, was also a very memorable character on television on Malcolm in the Middle as Malcolm's dad. Yeah. But he's been in a lot of great stuff. I mean, his first credit on imdb uh is in 1968 on one life to live wow so that's that's impressive that's impressive yeah, i knew i knew he grew up he grew up in la right so that's he must have done that as a kid that's crazy Man. yeah you know he's as an actor uh he's credited with 130 133 acting credits to his name but he did win a tony award last year for his portrayal as uh, as lbj on broadway which I believe they're making an HBO series out of that. So mm-hmm. really exciting to see there. But uh, he's somebody who has won Emmy Awards. He's he's won the Tony, like I said. He's a very respected actor in Hollywood. And anytime he shows up in a movie, it's always good. He was in Drive, uh, Argo. He was in Godzilla this past year, which was uh, which was great to see him in a big blockbuster. But man, 100% American treasure in my opinion. Somebody I always look forward to seeing. He He's kind of like a... Michael Keaton-esque, in my opinion. He he could really go drama or comedy and do both very apt. Yeah. Uh, very aptly. And, you know, somebody that 
should have been an AT a long time ago. Uh, I, you know, after Breaking Bad went off the air, we should have been having this conversation. But it's an obvious choice and somebody that's going to be in there eventually. So why not now? So Brian Cranston, Richard, what do you, what do you think? I'm in. American Treasure. Brian, nothing to say? No, total American Treasure. And I, I'm so glad – I'm glad that he is. Look, we we know that this American Treasure thing that we do, we take it seriously and we really enjoy doing this because it's it's like our opportunity to, to kind of heap some praise on some people, some people that get it a lot and some people that maybe don't. Um, this is – but we, we understand that it's a little bit silly, I think. I think we're all – in on that the the joke a bit a little bit but but well, you should tell my fingers that are still from sewing these vests but yeah it's silly. sorry my bad um but Cranston is a guy that like I'm really happy that he he got Breaking Bad because he's he's an yeah. incredible actor and he got it pretty late in life for for an actor and to be able to 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 take this amazing career. I had no idea that he'd been working since, you know, the sixties, but well, regardless, he's, he's, that. that was actually 85. The show one I okay. started in 68. Gotcha. All right. Started. I gotcha. But since gotcha. Oh, okay. Gotcha. First appearance. Yeah, there it is. But still since the early eighties, he's been in, in TV yeah. and, and movies and stage and all this stuff. And he's an amazing actor. And we, there are so many guys like that who are, uh, incredibly talented people who never, never get a break to become a star. And, uh, and when they do, I just, I love that we get to celebrate that because he's, I think our, our pop culture world would be missing something without Brian Cranston, without him being a, a major player, uh, and, and bigger than just that guy who showed up on how I met your mother and Seinfeld and the X-Files and you know, whatever mm-hmm. else. I mean, he's just, he's an incredibly talented guy. He always comes across as a genuinely good person, uh, and a nice guy. I think everybody who works with him enjoys working with them. And, uh, so, uh, I, I, I love Cranston. I'm, I'm glad you brought him to the table, Ken. Totally in. Sweet. American treasure. Richard, what's your nominee? Okay. I'm going to go through some stats here and then I'll have you guys guess. And then uh, we'll Jason see. Jason Terry. Yes, correctly. So uh, this is a musician and an actor. Um, so smaller on the actor front, nor is a musician, but has acted as well. Um, over 3,000 songs written, uh, 110 charted singles, uh, 25 number one uh, songs. And some some great films as well have been, uh, been affiliated with a uh, eight-time Grammy winner, two-time Oscar nominee. Who do you think I'm talking about, guys? Florida Georgia Line? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Bob Dylan. That's, uh, Brian? You said eight-time Grammy winner, two-time Oscar, Oscar nominee? Nom- uh, gosh, I don't know. Well, uh, here's the thing. I wanted you guys to think Bob Dylan because that's yeah. an impressive resume, right? Right. Um, because I, I think it illustrates how talented this person is and they don't necessarily get enough credit for it. I am nominating American treasure Dolly Parton. Yes. Oh, wow. One of the best all time sense of humor is about oneself. Uh huh. One of the greatest songwriters ever. I mean, ever. Jo- Jolene, I will always love you. Nine to five code of many colors, Tennessee mountain home. All classics and hilarious person takes a lot of money to look this cheap. All that worth five hundred million dollars has their own theme park. What's more American than that? <laughs> True. Nine to five, best little whorehouse in Texas, Rhinestone, Steel Magnolias, bunch of good movies. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm going to throw out, we need some more women. And I'm a big Dolly fan. Think she's a classic. Think she's hilarious. American treasure, Dolly Parton. That's a good one. That's, that's really odd to say. That's, that's, that's one that I wouldn't have thought of when you, but this, when you said the yeah. stats, of course, but they speak for themselves. The stats do. Uh, she's an icon. She is country music for women. Yeah, that is that's no that's no doubt about that. Maybe her and, uh, you know, I don't even know Reba McIntyre. They do it for the ladies. (laughs) Reba McIntyre is up there, and you know, Winona, big big Jug guy. Yeah, we going. We go. We're (laughs) we're going to Winona. We're gonna get wasted and just yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for that. Uh, In my hands, in my hands again. (laughs) I'm just wondering how I'm gonna get. All of Dolly Parton in the the square picture of <laughs> on the website. I, this vest is big, the biggest yeah, the one vest, I made. By <laughs> the vest is hard. The vest but is Dolly's hard. great. You know, the story is uh, there's a great story she tells about her uh, distinct look, where she said she grew up in a very rural part of Tennessee, right, in like a shack essentially. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this story, and she grew up pretty isolated from society. And when they would go to town once a month or whatever it was, they would, to get supplies, they would go into like the saloon (laughs) and all the prostitutes would be in there and uh, dressed like Dolly Parton dresses, right? And she said to her, that's what beautiful women looked like growing up because the only women she ever saw were prostitutes. (laughs) And so she'll tell you that that's what she, when she got out, that's what she decided she wanted to look like. Like I said, takes a lot of money to look this cheap. One of the greatest quotes of all time. And uh, Dolly's the best, man. She's awesome. I love me. Love me some Dolly. 100% American treasure, actually. Yeah. I don't think anyone really might be more American than Dolly Parton. Yes. Well, Willie Nelson, who is already an AT. <laughs> so they, he, she goes right along with him in that same kind of category. Yeah. Love, love Dolly. So uh, Dolly needs to do I more. I really think every – I know. She's not in my life enough. I think she's on David Letterman a lot. I feel she like is. I see her on there. There, Letterman's a big fan. She's a great interview. She does. She I is. mean, yeah. she's the definition of, you know, there's the, uh, the colloquialism lately of zero certain letters given. Um, she definitely represents that. Like, does not care anymore. Just right. Got to make her jokes. Sing her, sing her little country songs, and she's worth, like I said, five hundred million dollars. So wow. Keep getting them checks, Dolly. <laughs> so there you go. There you go, listener. Three yeah, new American treasure. Do I get to cast oh, yeah. my vote? Yeah, do you get to vote? For the record. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm so glad you brought her up, Richard. There, there are. I've said this before, but there's a lot of people that I think belong in the American Treasure Hall of Fame, but I don't feel like I'm necessarily the person to make the case for them. Yeah. I love Dolly Parton, and I I don't – this is going to this is gonna be terrible, but I didn't realize how incredible she was until maybe – I'm going to say six or seven years ago, Yeah, she was on uh, American Idol as like a guest host or judge or uh, the uh, the coach. Yeah. They used to have coaches. I don't know if they still do. I haven't watched the show in a long time. But um, but they all, you know, all everybody had to sing a Dolly Parton song. And I had no idea the f- literal thousands of songs <laughs> that have that that are hers. You know that she wrote, and, and they're she's such an incredible lyricist, uh, and she. You're right. There, there's no one who is more authentic <laughs> than yeah. Tolly Parton is. Like she is, she is a hundred percent who she is, and she has been that way since I don't know 1950. <laughs> I mean, she just 
There is no doubt about yeah. who she is as a person. I, I, yeah. I love Dolly Parton. I'm, I'm so glad you brought her to the table. It's like I had the same experience. I've, I've, my mom was a Dolly fan, so like I've known of how awesome Dolly was my whole life. But I had the same experience with American Idol with Harry Connick Jr. Uh-huh. He yeah. was on there, and I was like, he's really good. Like Great voice, could play anything on piano, awesome guy. And uh, I don't ever listen to Harry Connick Jr., but I, I root for him. He's sure. out there. Get it done, Harry. I had that same experience with Randy Jackson, actually. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Has no musical talent at all, but... You know. hey, he was a journey for like six months, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Slapping the piss. Slapping the bow. And I also realized that Paul Abdul is a huge piven. So <laughs> Massive piven. Massive piv. By the way, there are three categories here. There's American Treasure. There's O'Malley's, which are people who... Are American treasures, but they haven't necessarily had the career to justify American treasure status. Yeah. And things haven't like quite gone their way, like Mike O'Malley and, like we said, Chris Parnell and, and others. And uh, and we have the Pivens, who are just people known for just being terrible human beings. and <laughs> or, or people we just assume are terrible human beings. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all the same. Yeah. So, so there you go, listener. Three brand new entries into the American Treasure Hall of Fame. We do this You'll- once a month, the first episode of the month. So look forward to more uh, this coming May. Well, I believe great, we'll, I believe we'll be talking f- Avengers next time we talk American Treasures. And we love getting uh, emails from recommended American Treasures. And now that you guys know about O'Malley's and Pivens, yeah, we keep that list a little private in our text feed. Right. Um, but feel free to email us with uh, any nominees for either of those three categories. Maybe we'll throw those up on the website. But American Treasures are on the website. Browse through them. Uh, can't even link them. If you're unfamiliar with someone, you can learn some information about them. Right. And uh, it's it's pretty awesome. But yeah, like I said, every American treasure gets a vest, uh, a denim vest with uh, Theodore Roosevelt sewn into the back of it. <laughs> American flag lining. Yeah. Beautiful. It is beautiful. Okay, uh, guys, let's move on and let's talk about Furious 7. It's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again We've come a long way from where we began Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again When I see you again Before we dive into this review, I just want to start it off by giving a few statistics here. Uh, Furious 7 this past weekend was the biggest domestic April debut of all time with $143.6 million. The previous record was Captain America, the Winter Soldier last year with $95 million. So it only beat that by $50 million. <laughs> it's the fourth largest global opening in the history of the world with $384 million behind Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, and uh, the Avengers. Wow. It is the biggest opening of all time for Universal Pictures. It is the biggest debut in franchise history. Uh, The previous record holder was Fast 6, which was a 97.4 million. So it beat the last one by $50 million. (laughs) It's the biggest Easter opening in the history of movies. The previous one was Clash of the Titans with $60 million. Wow. (laughs) Wow. More than double. Yeah. It's the biggest opening for every cast member 
on the cast <laughs> and director James Wan. It's the biggest April IMAX opening with $22 million globally and only IMAX. And uh, it's uh, it's the biggest premium large format record with $11.5 million, previous record holder being Mockingjay Part 1 with $9 million. This was a success last weekend, fellas. Did all right. It just did. did. It did just okay. And what's funny about this is this is the seventh film in this franchise and it's just it's not going anywhere and we'll talk about how much that has to do with paul walker some of it does i'm sure if not um a a little you know a little less than half i would say has to do with just curiosity Mm. but you know you take away less than half you take away 40 million dollars this is still a hundred million dollar opening for this film it's not going anywhere it's just gaining momentum if anything and, you know, after this weekend, it, it ain't going anywhere anytime soon. It's safe to say. Man, I just want us to give general thoughts here. I'll give mine first because I anticipate this being more of a uh, – of y'all giving y'all's thoughts in, in review because y'all have been following this thing literally since its inception. I sort of got back on board when you guys brought me back around to it. I, I, I got it. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you very much. I, I really do appreciate it. Man, I just want to say – this is one of the funnest times I've had in a theater. Uh, this is the definition, the pinnacle of popcorn cinema, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, this was just such a blast in in almost every sense of the word. And this has some of the best moments of this the franchise, and it also has some of the dumbest moments of the franchise. But it's yeah. so so self aware about it that you just can't help but smile when when it's being stupid and cliche. And we'll you know we'll get into specifics about that here in a second. But I'm going to give general thoughts. This was this was a great entry. I don't know if it's the best of the of the bunch. It's going to be yeah, hard. It's I think Fast Six is still probably the best. I still love Fast Six. Fast Five though is is way up there. You know, before this, I didn't go back and watch all the movies. I'm sure you know some of you guys did do that. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> I think you know who I'm referring to. <laughs> I, I did go back and watch Fast Five and Fast Six previously, though, because I feel like that's really where it started to make sense with itself. Or mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like if this is going to continue, it has to go this way, or or uh, you know, it can't continue down the path it was going on for it to be successful. Uh, some of it's unwatchable, <laughs> in my opinion. Most of it prior to Fast Five is unwatchable, and you know, I get where. I get the significance of those films because there are callbacks to a lot of those events, especially in, in Fast Six and Fast Seven mm-hmm. or Furious Seven, I should I should get I should call it by its proper name. No one's gonna know what I'm saying if I'm saying Fast Seven. <laughs> <laughs> but man, this was a great time and the way it ends, the way they go about the obvious uh plot line of, you know, Paul Walker not being around anymore, it it was just perfect. And I can't wait to talk about this with you guys, but man, this was, this was so much fun. And, you know, I'm honestly, I honestly will probably see this again before it's all said and done in the theater. Loved it. It was a little long for me. One complaint I do have before we get into specifics here, but, um, I can't complain. There were, there were so many one liners. There was such great action in this. Some of the most ridiculous stunts in cinema history. I can honestly, say that, or at least films that I've seen, you know, I don't know if they were 
throwing cars out of airplanes in the 1930s, but <laughs> they were more power to Their loss. Their loss. <laughs> Man. Just jazz music as planes. But I just, <laughs> I freaking love these characters. The additions they've made with, with Statham and Kurt Russell is just, is just awesome. You know, they fit they, right along. They never let these stagnate cast-wise. I think it's just yep. one of the smartest things they do in these movies is just keep adding people to it. Yeah, and man, I had a, uh, such a good time watching this, and you know, I'll recommend it right now. It's go- it's going to be a positive review from from my uh, perspective, but I do have complaints, which we'll talk about. But uh, where should we begin? I guess Brian, go ahead. Yeah, I I love. I mean, I love this franchise. We've talked about it a thousand times before, so I don't necessarily feel the need to to reiterate. But Richard and I, I think this is one of the like three or five biggest things we bonded over in the, the, the infancy of our friendship. Uh, and we've tried to assimilate every, everybody that we know into that, uh, over the years. I love fast five and I love fast six. Um, there's nostalgia there for, for the original one. And, and even for the fourth one, I think the second and third one are pretty terrible, but, uh, fast four, I think I I did rewatch, Kent before I went into this movie I watched Fast one, and four, Furious and yeah yes Fast and Furious it's not as good it's not near as good as five and six and seven by any means but I do think that it's a like it it holds up well based on where where the franchise goes from there like it really sets the table very well for what they're about to do and it's it's where they really I think uh Justin Lin I think kind of discovered the formula for how to make these really good in that movie, even if the movie itself is not that, not that great. Um, but, uh, so my general thoughts on this are, I love, you're totally right. I I love these characters and that's something that I never would have thought I would say in 2000 or whatever, when the original fast and furious came out. Um, I was stoked about that, that movie when it came out, but, but even at the time I was like, this is ridiculous, but it's, you know, it's fun. Uh, but it's that, I was trying to explain <laughs> the franchise to my wife last night after I came back, you know, just bawling and uh, super upset <laughs> about uh, about everything. But but uh, that's there's this sense of family that runs through these these movies, and it starts in the first one and carries on through. I think throughout the the whole the whole franchise, minus again three that's just kind of sits out there on its own. But uh, that that familial bond that uh that dom shares with all of his his cohorts uh it it's really kind of cheesy but it also plays and 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 it, and it gets more and more this way as the as the series goes it's incredibly authentic and i think it really comes down to the fact that these people really love each other offset like this is a this is a really close knit group of people and if they're not, then they are all significantly better actors than we give them credit for. Uh, but I, I, it's that it's that sense of family and that that love for characters. I think that it trumps all of the the foolishness of of this whole franchise and allows you to see it through a lens of just insane, ridiculous, incredible fun. Uh, so for this one, for Furious Seven, I liked it a lot. I I enjoyed. Uh, all the, I love all these characters and I love what they are there to do. I love how serious and yet at the same time, tongue in cheek, uh, Vin Diesel and the rest of those guys take this series. 
uh, some of the stunts were absurd and it always does seem like they're, you know, they're just trying to one up the last movie. So it, I don't know what in the world they're going to do next time around. Uh, the issue for me, and this is, I, this is going to be a positive review. So it's not like I'm going to dog the movie or anything like that, but I definitely think that it missed that they, they were missing Justin Lin this Agreed. time around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, where, it, that's where my complaints lie. Yeah. And I'm not going to knock on James Wan so much as just say he he seemed like an odd choice at the time when when they announced him as the director. And having seen the film now, I, I feel like our concern or just our general like kind of scratching our head and not sure what to make of that, I think that was warranted because this movie just – it lacks a little bit of uh, control. I think that, that Justin Lin might have – had over a lot of these elements that just they just needed to be tightened up a little bit uh that's plotting it's uh it's it's scripting it's definitely some of a little bit of the dialogue uh there's just a, there's a lot of elements here that work fine but they should have worked better uh given what we know about this franchise from fast five and fast six so uh, i really enjoyed it it's 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 insanely fun and crazy and over the top, just like you would want it to be. Uh, but it, it does to me. It seems like it's a it's a step back from from five and six. Richard, yeah, no, Brian, I'm with you on that. I th- I think what is it now? Five, six, seven, one, four. Three two, I think, is the ranking now. That's like uh, yeah, the uh, Simmons, the Simmons, Simmons and Corolla's bit of that's going to be there. Uh, Corolla said that he's going to make that the passcode to everything he needs to get into the ranking, his <laughs> personal <laughs> rankings of the Fast and Furious. Uh, no, I love these movies, and I, I will say some different things about them. Um, I think these are really, in an odd way, evolved movies, as dumb as they are. There's a lot of. Um, people of color in these films, a variety of different races, not playing the Asian guy or the black dude, just yes. playing he- heroes or villains or whatever. I think it's one of the most advanced franchises or movies ever in that regard. Like it's just a melting pot of sexes and races. You know, there's some really kind of bad a women in these that are just as cool and kick butt as everyone else. Um, and I think that's really cool and, and deserves to be commended that arguably the biggest movie of any year does that because there is still an issue sometimes uh, that every superhero is white with blue eyes or mm-hmm. male and whatever. And I think these are really, really uh, progressive films in that regard. I think they're, and it's, I've, I can't imagine how empowering that must feel to you know, a 12 year old Filipino kid to look up and see someone that at least kind of looks like him instead of Henry Cavill. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) And so I I think that's great. I think with the, the later, the later kind of sequence of these films after four um, (laughs) AF uh, (laughs) that uh, these definitely evolved into something that's just the perfect tightrope of self-awareness and they get kind of progressively more. They, they definitely listen to the criticism commentary as you know, in fast six, why do I smell baby oil? Um, right. All that bit, you know, uh, like I said, they're not stagnant at all with the cast. They're never satisfied of, Hey, Vin and Paul Walker 
no one ever says, nah, don't add the rock to this. That's silly. Right. They say, awesome. Let's get as much, you know, as we can get in here. They have a variety of different kinds of stunts that keep it visually very interesting. I think across films from car stunts to explosion stunts to hand to hand combat stunts that really are everything you want out of an action movie. If you enjoy action movies, then why wouldn't you love these? And they're, they're these kind of, almost highlight films of everything you would want from an action movie, including one-liners and so on and so forth. Uh, it's just, just great, great stuff. So huge fan. And that's kind of my biggest feelings that besides what Brian Kent said as well. Uh, this one. Yeah, I think you're right. It definitely missed Lynn, his guidance on the whole. Um, you know, there's a lot of cuts that could have been made. It didn't need to be two and a half hours long, but the whole this whole movie is so indulgent i can kind of understand it when you have when you have cars jumping out of buildings in dubai it's not like you can go but it's two and a half hours that was right. a little over the top don't you think <laughs> uh so that's one piece i think the fact that this made 350 million dollars is great and theatrical is really important but these are this movie felt like it was really shot to be watched on an iphone <laughs> With all the close-ups, just a ton of close-ups. Yeah. And I think that's probably smart in terms of uh, the current state of cinema and who will be watching this movie. But I watching the film kind of made me left wanting because I it didn't have this, the proper scope that I thought uh, six and especially five had. This is such a ridiculous conversation to have. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, but I, I do. I think Glenn was was very much missed. Juan was fine. Like it wasn't. It it wasn't a. If Juan had made all these movies, we would still like them. It was just. Right. Yes. I think Glenn is so good. Uh, that, you know. It, yeah. It's hard to compare. You know, those movies are really slick looking. They're they're ridiculous and stupid. Five and six and four, but they have this sort of look that is perfect and it's really well directed and very self-aware and this just yes. didn't have all of that it had eight out of ten of it but it, it definitely misled and and that's why i always say i think justin Lin is one of the most talented people working right now especially yeah. in blockbuster hollywood because this was a dead franchise mm-hmm. and he totally uh you know he had a his vision own again. And he, yeah yeah absolutely yeah it it, it's almost unfair to James Wan. Like I went to see this with our friend Jason and he kind of, he bashed on Wan a little bit, just his direction. And I didn't take it that far. I just thought there's a, I think this proved that in the fast and furious franchise, if you want to call it the universe, the fast and furious universe, uh, Vin is the most important part of that. But Justin Lin is the second most important part. All these other things, even you know, rest in peace, Paul Walker, everyone else who's involved with this franchise. I'm not saying they could be replaced, but you can get, you can get most of what they do within this universe, within this cast from other sources. If you, if you had to. And I think this proved to me that like that, that Justin Lin is, is, uh, is this is very important to making this because I think he understands the voice. I think he understands, uh, the tone of the films better than anyone else is, is going to understand them. And I, I think he, I don't know. It it may even be that there's like a, like a respect 
from the rest from the cast with Justin Lin that may have been difficult to get with with James Wan just because I feel like I'm taking this way too seriously, but like there is a familial bond between all this cast. And now you've got kind of an outsider coming in to, to take over some of it. And I I wonder if that may have led to not issues by any means, but, but, but a, a product that is slightly inferior to what the, the last two, two films have been. I agree. I agree about I agree about the lack of direction in the direction. Right. And the shot, some of the shot choices just infuriated me, but some of the, the shot selection towards the end and, you know, at the very end, I thought was fantastic. But I feel like he had more input from outside sources when it came to covering things that were more important than the film itself. Like how to go about the the death of a cast member, you know, and stuff like that. And right. the way they cover a lot of that stuff, I thought was great direction wise, sure. but, but the action scenes themselves, uh, mainly any hand to hand combat was yeah. way too shaky cam. The, uh, it, what I liked about Justin Lim was he didn't resort to shaky cam a lot of the time. And a lot of it was just kind of hard to comprehend in this film. I think the, um, the the car chase scene specifically and uh you know the big action set pieces were good but any sort of you know b action i guess you could call it of of hand to hand combat or you know close quarters action was was really jarring and you know that's my main complaint i've felt sure. myself having to look away a few times in the screen just so i wouldn't get a headache and i never like that in in an action movie you know there are a lot of movies that have come out in the past couple of years like RoboCop, for example, where not one action scene was even comprehensible. You know, yeah. I just don't see why you would want. Like, what does that accomplish? Let I can't even watch. Chic. I can't even watch the movie. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Letty A, esque, if you will. Yeah. Um, but you know, the self awareness was great, and we'll start off by talking about some of the self awareness towards the beginning when. Uh, Letty and Dom are driving through an open road at the beginning of the film. And the first line Dom says is, they say an open road. (laughs) They say the open road helps you think about where you're going, where you've been. And and just a side note about Vin Diesel. You watch any interview with Diesel, and he's like the goofiest character ever. His voice is nothing like Dom in real life, you know? (laughs) Which He gets it. Yeah, he totally gets it. And and Dom is just as low and as stern as possible. But, you know, Vin Diesel just seems like, you know, a future American treasure uh, (laughs) all the way. I love me some Vin. And I'm sure people, sure, sure people that listen to this show are like, why do they love Vin Diesel so much and the Fast series? It's because they get it. Yes. They're not they're they're in on the bit and they well, completely like embrace it and and they don't ever go over the top with it, you know, like yeah. so it's it comes down to do you understand what you are what you're creating? And there are this is one of my big things that I harp on all the time is identity and identity of a movie. Does the movie understand what it is? Does the movie have identity? All that sort of stuff. There are movies that have won Best Picture Oscars that don't understand their identity as well as these films do and as well as all the cast does. Like, Vin Diesel is a genius. You can say all yeah. you want about his his acting ability, and you, you may be correct on that, but, but from a – he understands social media 
better than I think he he might lead the way in actors and and celebrities and the understanding of social media. He he understands what what the the fans of this franchise want to see and how to treat that with respect without just pandering, you know, which is such a strange balance to strike. He that guy's a genius and I don't care what uh, what you want to say about him? He he may sound he's very sly, Sylvester Stallone. I mean, he it's it's he's yeah. just doing a Stallone impression in a lot of ways. But both of those guys will never get the credit for being as genuinely smart as they are because of the way they look and sound. But yeah, that guy, you're you're exactly right, Kent. That guy gets it, and that I think that's what makes this such a successful franchise. And so does Sly to an extent. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sly is an American treasure, so that's to be expected. That's right, he about- is about getting it so they go immediately from driving on the open road to a what they call race war <laughs> which i thought was funny. call back call back to the first movie. call back to the first movie and they say because we invented them which <laughs> yeah. they do they know that they invented not only the race war themselves but the whole notion of crazy party with fast cars and hot chicks which we've yeah. seen repeated in other movies since then uh namely like what what was uh one last year? Need for, need, Speed. need for Speed. Remember that one? And even you know movies that haven't been so successful, like Step Up to the Streets and Step Up that <laughs> the whole dance battle uh, genre that kind of kind of sparred up from Fast and the Furious, believe it or not. And so you know self awareness there. You know one small complaint, not really complaint, but just observation: the amount of girls' butts in this movie was. <laughs> oh, I mean, James Wan must be a single guy He's trying to catch a glimpse like, Gosh. hey, hey, girl, did you see your butt? I put it in the movie. I just yeah. wanted to see the audition process for that. Gosh. Like, all right, can you show us your butt? Okay, I, great. Next? Yeah. Okay, great. You know, there, it was just almost Man. like forced. It was, it was too much. It was, yeah. it was gratuitous. Let's be honest. Like, yeah. not just that, but there's a lot of stuff that I think, uh, I think showed that James Wan comes from a a horror background and, and not, yeah. and hasn't been doing this all that long either. Like is kind of this. Yeah. That, that was, uh, <laughs> it may just be that I took three kids with me to see this movie that I just was like, Oh my God, there's just way too much of this stuff. But, uh, it felt like if you added up all of the hot chicks and skimpy bikinis from the, the previous six movies and then tripled it, you might get close to the number that are in right. this movie. Yeah. And uh, a little another complaint with Mr. Wan here uh, to include Iggy Azalea in this. Ugh. So disrespectful to Paul Walker. I mean, what are you doing, man? <laughs> Let's be real. Uh, yeah. <laughs> haven't we had enough guys of Iggy Azalea? As a I society, so. haven't we decided that no, this can't happen? And yeah. you know that's that's gonna date this movie. You know, exactly. It's, 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 exactly. We're gonna look back at ten years, and be like, oh gosh, like what if Little Kim was in? You know, some like oh, Fast and Furious. Yeah. Like, oh, God, remember Little Kim? Oh, yeah. oh. Well, I think that was part of the original. I mean, Ja Rule is a major part exactly in, right in the right. first film, but they they got away from that in the Justin Lin era, and 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 rightly so. But yeah, I saw that, and I, I cringed when she when she popped up. I was like, this is she is the come worst. On. She is We've just, gotta be better. Than she's this. just the worst. I'll go on the record. And right after that. We get a, a close-up shot of a, a revving engine, uh, you know, hands on a steering wheel and a gear shifter, and it, it it zooms out and it's Paul Walker in a minivan. I thought that was hilarious, and he picking up his kid from school yeah, in a funny. minivan. That was funny. There, this movie had 
some of the funniest moments of the franchise. I will totally. give it that. Yeah. I had multiple laugh out loud moments for me. And that's something that I wish they had embraced more in the in the previous films. They they went more towards that in Fast Six, especially the banter between Ludacris and Tyrese was great. But uh, they they upped the ante on, you know, on every, they gave every every other character laughs uh, in this movie. So I appreciated that. But after we get Paul Walker picking up his kid from school, we see his new family. Jordana Brewster makes an appearance and uh, is involved in this film. We get Letty and Dom. At Letty's grave, and I did not like this scene at all with Dom yeah. with the sledgehammer, and I just that they could have cut that out, and I would have been fine with that. You Absolutely. can go about that a different way. That just felt so MacGruber to me when he's about to bash the something I should have done a long time ago. Did you just use MacGruber in a negative context? Yeah, I mean when you're. No, when you're trying to be serious and it becomes <laughs> when you're trying to be serious and it becomes MacGruber, it you know, it's not self aware. You know, that that was they were being serious about that. That's yeah, it wasn't that was a bad. joke. It was a bad. I, yeah. I'm I'm with you. I thought the first beyond the Paul Walker in the line with the minivan, which was hilarious, I thought you could pretty much cut out the first fifteen minutes of the movie, like have the Statham bit and then just cut to the uh spoiler alert the uh the house explosion and i think it would have been fine right exactly i, I don't think you gained anything from uh from that that awful weird exposition race whereas the whole that whole thing uh could be cut out easily and i don't think you'd miss anything i got to say man and this movie cemented it for me the rock is becoming a if he's in a movie, I'll see it kind of guy to me. Yeah, so same. I freaking love The Rock so much. And I and, was not that way until recently. Like he's 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 turned on. I've turned on him. You know, you know what? This movie was the first movie I'd seen where that it's, it was cemented. Sure. Uh, you know, and what you know, his appearance at WrestleMania didn't didn't hurt last last <laughs> week. It was freaking epic. And we won't oh, go down that path. But we, no, we should, Kent. Let's take thirty seconds to talk about. <laughs> okay, Richard. I hosted a rest. I hosted a WrestleMania party. Yeah. Ken attended. Gr- greatest night ever? One of the best, yeah. I recommend anyone. I might make this my weekly recommend this week. It doesn't. None of us at the party are into wrestling at all. Um, I highly recommend WrestleMania parties. You can get the WWE Network on Apple TV for like nine bucks. Buy it for a month during WrestleMania month next year. Invite as many people over to your house as you can. Serve some food. And it will be better than any Super Bowl party you've ever been to. It's so funny to watch in a group. What's funny about The Rock is, even in this movie, he makes no attempt to hide his tattoos. He has, like, <laughs> The Rock's logo on his arm. time. <laughs> makes no attempt to hide it with makeup or anything. But what was funny about WrestleMania was that he hosted SNL the night before, live in New York. You know, it's literally a midnight show in New York. And we were just talking about it. You know, WrestleMania starts. Be like, man, wouldn't it be awesome if The Rock showed up? Yeah, but he also doesn't know it's probably not going to happen. Because yeah, WrestleMania, sh- we should say, was in San Francisco. Yeah, it was on the opposite the coast day. the next day, and it started like mid afternoon in in San Fran. So, you know, <laughs> a lot of rehearsal has to happen for that type of stuff to go on and coordination. Nope, Rock shows up, <laughs> does a fight with Ronda Rousey, by the way, who was uh, made an appearance in in this movie, but. Man, right. just pump me up like crazy. <laughs> Freaking love that guy now. Like he'll he will do any. He's like, he's cruise level. I'll do anything for my fans. They yeah. got me where I am. But man, the the rock in here. One complaint. 
I don't know when we should go to spoilers, uh, guys. When when should we go to spoilers? How much further should we? Can we go? Let's go now. down here. Okay, yeah, let's go ahead. We're and an go. hour and a half in. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's go spoilers right now. So one complaint. Well, spoilers coming up now for Furious Seven. So turn this off if you haven't seen the movie. Unless you don't go mind see the movie. Story. Go You're see one it. of the three people that apparently did <laughs> right. Okay, one complaint. Um, maybe not really complaint, but one observation would be rocks only in it in the very first and very end. And, yeah. uh, you know, I understand where they, why they did that. They just let Dom and the gang be Dom and the gang for a while, but I like the rock more. I wish the rock was in it more. Sorry. You know, I wish the rock would have been part of the team, uh, at, you know, during when they're trying to take down Shaw or track down Shaw. Right. Uh, I missed the rock towards the, I had the same complaint yeah. in boyhood too. I was like, "Where Rock show up?" Yeah, like this is great and all, but I want Rock. You know, I think every movie I see, Birdman is like, "Okay, exactly." The rock. Um, but the the little the fight with him and Shaw at the beginning was good. The encounter when he encounters Shaw hacking into his computer is funny. The banter between them two. Yeah, uh, the the dialogue for the Rock was so great in this movie. Fantastic. Whoever best, ri- wrote best it, of the movie. Yeah. yeah, best of the movie. Whoever wrote, I don't know if the Rock, you know, helped helped the writer here uh, go, you know, with what he wanted like to, him to say. So. I yeah. like to think so. Yeah, think that he does. I mean, you like to think that because I mean, it was so only the Rock can say that stuff and get away with it. I have this uh, idea I've been kicking around in my brain. You know how most of the countries we deal with. Are that uh, are enemies of our country are probably a little less advanced in terms of their technology. I'm losing you bad. I'm losing you bad, Richard. Hello, Can you hear me? Okay. Hello, hello. There. I'll start yeah, over. Yeah, I'm still okay. Start over. You mean to hang up and call you back? Uh, if it'll help, if you think it'll help. Okay, hold on. Brian. Ah, Richard. Were you listening? I'm yeah, bad. it was breaking up for me too. Yeah. Am I better now? A little bit. It sounds better on this end, yeah. Go ahead. We'll fight through it. So you know how a lot of countries we deal with are, are a little less advanced psychologically than we are probably. A lot of our enemies, they're a little more... Yeah, uh, Grenada, Angola. <laughs> yeah. So I think the way they, I think, would think is they're intimidated by... Um, they would be intimidated by a manlier presence over there. So I say we just make... At the very minimum, we make The Rock Secretary of State, maybe president. <laughs> and, like, who would ever mess with us if he went over to, you know, Jordan and just yeah, started may- shaking maybe hands? Maybe that guy. Maybe the, maybe the Prince of Jordan or the King of Jordan. That guy's <laughs> awesome. But ISIS, is, no. Yeah, exactly. We send The Rock over there. We're like, this is our president now. He represents all of us. Yeah. And he just kind of stares them down. I think we'd be much safer. I don't think yeah. we'd have to really even have an army. This is this is one of my favorite uh, Richard ideas. Is <laughs> is <laughs> I'm I'm just going to expand upon it because we we've, we've talked about this in the past. But yeah. but the idea being we just round up like The Rock, Ray Lewis, <laughs> Kevin Garnett, Shaq. just Shaq, just the biggest meanest looking dudes that we have in, in on these shores, and we just send them over to let's say ISIS because that's the yeah. that's the big thing right now. But it could have been you know like the Russians or. Yeah, uh, North Korea or wherever it doesn't matter. We we send them over. We 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 set up some sort of a uh, a peace treaty meeting or something, and we just we send these guys in. No one else. No no diplomats. No politicians. No one else. Just just these guys. We can let the Rock lead because he yeah. he has the uh, 
the intelligence, I think, to do it. Yeah, he's the and best he just speaker. says, uh, "Look, what you guys are doing is is bullcrap, and uh, we're not going to stand for it anymore." Uh, we have 5,000 more guys just like this <laughs> sitting in a, uh, in, in a bunker or over the next hill. Yeah. And uh, if you don't surrender within – I'm going to give you five minutes. They're all just going to come over this hill and tear your limbs off and beat you with them. Like I feel like that would get things done. Like that's – Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Instead, we send like John Kerry over or like Condoleezza <laughs> Rice and they're like, yeah, OK, we're real scared. You know, it doesn't really put – I think they understand intellectually that we have nuclear bombs and things, but they don't really feel it in their bones. Right. Guarantee you, The Rock walks in there in like a cool camo vest, sleeves cut off. It is like <laughs> Under Armour. He's, and he's just greased, like industrially greased. Yeah. Uh, and says, look, we're not going to stand for this. I think we would never have another terrorist attack, personally. <laughs> so The Rock for president is what I'm trying to say. I think they... American is not enough. <laughs> president The Rock. They already covered that kind of an idiocracy, didn't they? When they <laughs> President Camacho, who's just a wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we're going. Gosh, but they had so a negative crazy. spin on that. I'm thinking it's a positive. I mean, yeah. what can the president We're not really trying to make done? Jake the Snake the president. It's the yeah. rock. That's <laughs> way cooler. Yeah. I mean, By the way, that's the only other wrestler I know. <laughs> so Jake the Snake, Hulk Hogan, the rock. That's it. Um, yeah, I only so, know Jake the Snake because he was on Boy Meets World. <laughs> That was Vader. Uh, they had Jake the Snake as well. No, oh, okay. Don't challenge me. <laughs> awesome, awesome little scene we get uh, after the. Ken has no thoughts on this political fight. <laughs> no, I, I I just talked the Rock we, for we like thirty minutes. So, tangent. so no, no thoughts. A, a little Easter egg I saw and it was kind of dumb. We see Han on a screen, and his name is Han Sol O. Did you see that? Awesome. That's awesome. I'm on board. It was so ridiculous. <laughs> but it was funny. Uh so I don't know if the if the listener caught that, but go back and watch it a second time. I was obviously paying to paying attention to the important things in this movie. Uh we get introduced to Kurt Russell. And Kurt Russell has recruited Dom to help uh to help find Owen Shaw's brother Jason Statham, or uh, what's it, what's his first name? Rickard, Deckard, 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 yeah. Deckard. Uh, Deckard. He comes. Shaw. He wants him to help him. He wants uh, Dom and the gang to help him find Owen Shaw's brother Deckard Shaw. He offers him a Belgian white whiskey or a Belgian white beer, and Dom's uh, no, I'm a Corona man. And then he pulls out a bucket of Coronas. Yes. Self-awareness, people. It's a good thing. Uh, there was always an inside joke about Dom only drank Coronas, but even Dom knows I'm a Corona man. So I thought that was hilarious. That got a laugh from me. Beer drinkers can get out. One plot line that was kind of obvious that so many... You know, I understand its relevancy now, but the whole uh, everybody's spying on us, we're going to use everybody's cell phones against them type thing, or to help us, uh, if it's for the public interest, the God's Eye plotline. What did you guys think about that, Brian? I thought it was fun. I, I thought Kurt Russell was great. Yeah. I thought he was a really strong addition to the cast. Um, I don't think the plot is the issue in the in this movie. I, I They're... It's the way that we went about getting from plot point to plot point, I think, is is more of the 
it felt like um it felt like singing the chorus to a song without singing any of the verse oh, kind of over and over and over again. Does that make sense? Like there's a lot of things here that are – it's fine, but we're just kind of jumping from one big plot point to the next. And the God's Eye thing was was like that. That was a little bit cliche, but it wasn't so cliche that I was that I was rolling my eyes or anything. Um, it was it was fine. And I, I again, I think Kurt Russell is a really strong addition to this cast. I hope that he is back for – eight and nine and future installments. Cause he, he had just, just the right kind of uh, sleaziness, I guess, to play that character the right way and, and to kind of fit in uh, without, yeah, I, I enjoyed what, what he brought to the, to the screen. Yeah. Vin Diesel actually said that the reason they brought Kurt Russell on was for future movies. Like his story is told in eight and nine and that this, this technically, According to Vin, this technically Fast Seven, it starts a new trilogy, if you will. It sure. to me, it felt like the way it ends and everything. It feels like the the end of the the five, six, seven. You know, feels like the end of that sort of little trilogy. Mm-hmm. But according to what this where the story is going, this is sort of the beginning of a new trilogy. Yeah. So we're going to get more Kurt Russell, and he's going to have a bigger role in Sweet. future films. Well, and so. we don't know. To your point, too, Kim, we don't know what this would have been like without the tragedy of Paul Walker's yeah. death. Like there's a lot of rewrite clearly that went into this. And so um, it may have felt more like a beginning when they actually set out and, and mapped these, these next few movies. Yeah. And, you know, we can talk about, about Walker here. Uh, you know, there's obvious scenes that were written after the fact. Mm-hmm. I think all the scenes with him talking to his wife about retiring and, and stuff like that was, was rewritten or written for uh, the situation that we're in now. Did you, did you feel that way? It, you know, there's no way Brian O'Connor would have retired had it not had things not ended up the way they ended up. You know what I mean? Uh, Don't, you know, Brian, you did watch all the films previously. I only watched the uh, five and six, but don't doesn't he make allusions to in the previous films hanging up the hang up the shoes or you know because he had a kid in, in fast yeah, six you know yeah there's a lot of hey I'm a father now or I'm about to be a father or whatever and and maybe that means something different for I need me to play it down safe. the road yeah but but I, I now think let you're me right. race 120 miles on this <laughs> rocky pass yeah yes exactly and we stole 100 million dollars from a Brazilian drug lord so <laughs> we we could just stop if we wanted to um. <laughs> We've got Letty back. There's really no need for us to continue doing these but I'm things. A but father now, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about your father. Uh, anyway, no, I think you're right, Kent. I don't. I, I'd be interested to see how much of that was in the original, uh, the original plot and the original script, or if that was all just stuff that kind of had to be added because of. Uh, where we're at and it was a little sloppy but i but i can't fault them for the sloppiness like it had to be done the way that it was done i think and so you kind of just have to give them some grace on look this is the real life situation that we are in and thus it may not come off quite as strong as you as you might you might hope um we can talk about the very very end in a second but i as far as like throughout the film um i thought it, it did the situation justice even if it wasn't completely clean just yeah. the way it's done it's structured and it the way was it's done it was weird that the whoa it was weird that the situation is in the movie but yeah you know <laughs> i think he fit pretty well 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. like the, the actual situation. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Richard's always trying to bring it back to the situation. It's just <laughs> yes, relevant comedy. Yes. Uh, we, <laughs> That's what I bring. Uh, after that, after we get the God's Eye plotline explained to us, we have the biggest action set piece or the tentpole action set piece of the film, or one of two, I should say. Um, and neither of these two come in the first or third acts either. These are sort of in the middle of the film, which I really liked. We get uh, the the famous trailer scene of cars jumping, dropping out of airplanes. I loved this so much. Oh, gosh. This was one of the most fun scenes I've ever seen in an action movie. And apparently they really dropped cars out of airplanes. Yeah. And it's a practical effect. Yeah. And they got, you know, parachuters with cameras to, to jump with them and film them as they're coming down. And I'm, I'm guessing they spliced Dom and the gang into those shots. And man, that was cool. I loved it. And what are they going to think of next? Honestly? I mean, where, where do we go from here? You know? And, And they answer that question in the next big action scene, but the creativity, you know, there's, you would think there's only so much you can do with cars and they've definitely proven me wrong in the past four <laughs> films they've done that, you know, the, the, I guess the, uh, brainstorm meetings with the, you know, producers and writers is just so fun to think, what the heck are we going to do? How are we going to do this? I bet it's, I, I, I'm really interested to see, you know, they obviously plan this out where they're going to go, how they're going to top themselves you know, the next film. And that's a question I anxious to see answered. So by the way, when, right when they're in the plane and you, you know, the, the cargo door opens and you realize, Oh my gosh, you're in a plane. They're about to drop out of this thing. Somebody in my theater, like gone up to go to the bathroom. Like, how could you, no. how could you go to the bathroom and miss this? It's like, what? Maybe they had a, you know, fear of heights or something, but I mean, good <laughs> grief, man. What have you, what are you doing with your life? When you, okay, this is going to be a good moment to take a break and go to the bathroom. No, uh, that was annoying. And so when they get on the ground, they're attacked by Shaw's clan, Shaw's, I guess, um, clan of, of goons. And they all have machine guns and they're, the machine guns are f- firing at Dom and the gang, blowing up their, their windshields and cars. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh. We're seven films, and they still haven't invested in bulletproof windshields. <laughs> then they all go behind Luda in a straight line, and Luda, Luda. says, bulletproof. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> like As soon as there I was is. thinking, why don't they have bulletproof, they say, you know, they explain that right there. And, man, I was just a plot. I was just so happy that that happened or it was explained that way to me. You know, self-awareness, guys. Self-awareness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of fast cuts there. And, um, you know, a big action set piece with Paul Walker and a bus. Now the bus is flying over a cliff. Really cool to see how he escapes that with him jumping over the, the bus as it's falling down and yeah. Letty catching him. So that was a great little piece. I thought that um, was also the, the only hand-to-hand combat scene in the, in the movie that, that I wasn't having to kind of yeah. avert my eyes. That, that one was really good. The, battle, the, the fight between him and I think that was Tony Jaw, wasn't it? Yeah. The, the guy yeah. from uh, – Ongbok. Yeah, uh, that was that was impressive. There was a lot of other hand to hand combat scenes that were that were very difficult to watch, but that one I thought was really smooth. Yeah, just an observation or a quick thought I want to get in before we before I forget. We saw with Fast Five them really going more towards the 
Ocean's Eleven heist type uh-huh. movies with cars included. I feel or the like now it, you see me type heist right. film. <laughs> um, and with Fast Six, I felt they went more for superhero movie action pieces with you know Dom and the gang as sort of the Avengers, if you will. Sure. And um, now. You know, if they bring guys like Tony Jaw into the fold and they make these more like martial arts centric with the cars and with the heist element and with the superhero element, mm-hmm. man, they're really evolving this into something fun. You know, they can go almost any direction action wise with this. And I'm gonna be I'm gonna be excited about it. Yeah. But there's a lot of great, you know, WWE esque one on one fights in the <laughs> in this movie that that I really uh enjoyed. But uh so we get a big set piece there in the mountains with Dom and Shaw sort of chasing each other. And, you know, I guess the little, the doom buggy car is cool, but I still think the best car that we've had in this whole franchise has been the ramp car from fast six. Um, Owen Shaw's <laughs> ramp car where, you know, yeah, he's strange. flying through the, through the streets and, and cars are just flying off, uh, flying off it into buildings and stuff. I still still think that's my favorite set piece of this entire franchise, the ramp car sequence. Love that. Uh, but apparently, you know, Dom has a roll bar on his car because it, f- <laughs> just to see the incredible wrecks that happen in this movie and just to see Vin just walk away completely unscathed, <laughs> like yeah. numerous times is so <laughs> funny to witness, you know? Uh, yeah. You know, how many more wrecks can he get in with, with just being able to... St- like shake it off or brush off his shoulders and, and walk away. It's, it's become a joke at this point. And, you know, they, they tease a, um, Dom's demise later, but I'm wondering when they're going to pull the trigger on that. So to speak, uh, we get a rant, we get this girl, Ramsey, who's a computer hacker. They introduce her and she informs them that they need to go to Abu Dhabi to get a, I guess jump drive or something that somebody has implanted into a very expensive car. And so hence we move to Abu Dhabi and we get a big action set piece about, uh, where Dom and O'Connor, uh, the brakes go out on this car and they're flying from building to building. And that was another big wow (laughs) moment of this film. Of this film. I loved it. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on that? No. They all they're amazing. The the action set pieces are all fantastic. There's I have no complaints about any of those. They every movie it just cranks it up a notch on the the insanity and the ridiculous things that they're able to pull off. But it always looks great. So I will continue to suspend disbelief as long as they want to ask me to do that. We, by the way, <laughs> Dom lifts a car. yes i was like what is so awesome we're there's no limit there's no limit with this franchise there's none none at all uh with with what they're willing to do and get away with it's so funny to think that this this entire franchise started with (laughs) with dom and the gang stealing dvd players right that's that's where we started and and now they are uh like the mission impossible team and uh they referenced that in the sixth one, remember when Owen yeah. Shaw's like, it's a sweet story. Start off stealing DVD players and then you rip off $100 million bank in, or whatever in Brazil. Gosh, so great. So yep. great. And, uh, but I mean, it just took the ridiculous level up to another notch where he just, 
O'Connor has got to get under the car, so Dom lifts it up. <laughs> like yeah. it's not like it's nothing. One person lifting a car, but that was. I wonder if he did that in real life. I'd be interested to know <laughs> if Vin just trained for three weeks to do that. Uh, so we so that that set piece was incredible. Um, we move on to the third act now, and you know, if they decided if they were going to take down Shaw, they were going to do it on their streets. So they go back to L.A. And we get the third act, big action piece, with them flying through the streets of L.A., um, I guess running away from a drone. Mm -hmm. Uh, So another, I guess, relevant political satire there with a drone (laughs) being the ones to to take them down. And we get a big fight between Statham and Diesel. And he says, (laughs) you know, they – have this game of chicken in the earlier uh, part of the movie where they just n- neither of them flinch so they just run head on into each other another ridiculous thing or they walk away unscathed but this time Vin pulls a wheelie and runs into Shaw and their game of chicken and hurts Shaw they get out he says Vin Diesel says you thought this was gonna be a street fight you're gosh darn right <laughs> throws down the gun and picks up a giant wrench and they go they go at it a one-on-one fight so there's another fight that i liked by the way in abu dhabi we get a fight between ronda rousey and letty meh which was meh not as good as gina carano and letty from yeah. uh six that fight ruled in six. that was an incredible fight it was and let's see uh finally the rock returns he flexes out of the cast, which uh, which is always great to see. Daddy's got to go to work. Daddy's got to go to work, honey. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And flexes out of the cast, hijacks an ambulance, and intercepts the drone by driving it off a bridge, blows up, and busts through the windshield like the Hulk or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was uh, awesome. And it has the best line in the movie with... With woman, I am the cavalry. Yes, like, yes, yeah. <laughs> I thought we called the cavalry woman. I am the cavalry, and uh, and pulls he carries a minigun down the street. Just yeah, so pulls great. down a turret, literally, yeah. <laughs> and and takes down a helicopter with a turret. Gosh. Um, so when they take down the helicopter, Dom, uh, the helicopter basically lands on Dom, or Dom ramps his car off of a falling parking garage and tries to take out the helicopter, but misses and uh, dies apparently. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she's like, I just, I told you, I wanted to say Letty's holding in, holding Dom in, in her arms. She admits that she, she got her memory back. She remembers everything now. Amnesia is gone and she is sad. She never got to say goodbye. Yeah. And then Vin gets, it's never goodbye. Uh, and we move on to the last scene of the film. And this was emotional. You knew what was, you knew it was going to be a barbecue of some kind. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was a barbecue on the beach. And, uh, and we see Paul Walker and his wife and kid on the beach. And, this is when the It's Never Goodbye really is enforced with a with a really cool song playing. I don't know the name of it, but I guess it was it felt appropriate to the sure. moment. And uh, you know, the way they went about this was great. Honestly, when 
when Dom is at O'Connor's house at the beginning and the, and the explosion happens and the conversation between uh, Jordana Brewster and, and Dom before that was, you know, if anything happens to me or him, promise you'll let, you'll, you know, our son will be safe and all this, you know, please look after us or whatever happens, you know. So mm-hmm. I thought, honestly, that that O'Connor was going to die and that Dom was going to take it upon himself to raise O'Connor's kids. Yeah. I thought that's where they were going with that, but obviously not the way. And, you know, in all honesty, him, O'Connor hanging up his shoes, I think was the right way to go about it. It would have felt inappropriate to, for him to die in this movie, you know, for his character. It would have felt wrong. Honestly, it would have. So we, we speculated when, when Paul Walker died, we kind of speculated on the show about what, that yeah. means for the franchise and how they're going to go about it. And it seemed to us at the time, I, I believe, that it's either you you kill him off in the movie and it's it becomes a plot point, which could be done, but it could also really come off as exploitative of of the situation. Or we we hypothesize that they could uh, essentially kind of let him walk off into the sunset and have that be, you know, he's retiring because of the family obligations or whatever it might be. Um, I'm with you, Kent. Like, I was, as the movie was going, I was like, I think he's going to die. And I was really tense about that for, in a lot of sequences of, is this going to be the one where where Brian O'Connor dies? But the the heavier they hit that that mark of, of uh, hit, like him talking to Mia the last time before he goes into the battle in the third act, I think at that point I was like, okay, they can't kill him off now because it would come across so dark and so um, mean-spirited almost. Right. Uh, and so I, I'm thrilled with the way that they that they walked away from his character, just letting him uh, – it was very touching, I think, the way that they let him go off to be his own man and, and raise his family and all that stuff. Yeah, and – the way they went about it, though, is what I loved. How you know they have the entire gang except for Paul just sitting there talking about you know just look at that. That's what it's all about, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and it, there's so much truth in, like you said, that that there's a family with just the actors that are involved with this franchise, people who have been in it since day one, and you know they they talk about it like like their characters talk about it, you know, mm-hmm. from day one, it's, it's been about family. It's been about these, you know, six people or whatever. And right. you know, that, that's what I got emotional about was that they're not talking about this movie. They're talking about these people in real life, you know? And, yeah. and it, I just thought the execution was so perfect. And, you know, at the end, when more towards the end, when the song's playing and Dom's riding on the open road again, you know, callback from the from the first scene, and Paul Walker. It was weird that it was a Sarah McLaughlin song. <laughs> a little insensitive. <laughs> and we we get Dom riding on the road, and Paul Walker next to him, and then they start showing the montage mm-hmm. of the of the previous films. I knew, like Brian, I knew you would just lose it at that moment. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like like it's like Absolutely. it's it's over. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I was that, just weeping. Yeah, <laughs> that was just so touching and you know like i said this is real you know this isn't killing off a character this is killing off a you know this is a memorial for a human you know mm-hmm. and jay i criticized james wan for 
some reasons earlier, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the shot selection at the end, the closing shot, overhead shot with the two cars and Paul Walker's car taking an exit and going in a different direction was so perfect. Like, yeah, I agree. Like the totally agree. best way I ever could have thought that this could have ended, you know, like mm-hmm. it was just so beautiful, you know, and that's the way it had to be. It had to be touching and it couldn't be, couldn't be insensitive. And I didn't feel like it was that at all. I really felt, felt touched by, by how they went about it and everything. It totally was, agree. And, it, and it opens the door for, I don't even want to say him to return, but it's crazy what they, that they were able to, to complete this with stunt doubles and, you know, face digitalization and everything. I'm sure when the DVD comes out and the Blu-ray, the process of what they did to bring him back to the screen is will blow our minds, you know, mm-hmm. but it just shows you that with technology, anything's possible at this point. Uh, but Richard, what do you think about how they went about the, the obvious? You know, it's it's uh, the perfect way to end it and the only way to end it after you witness it. I can't right, really yeah. imagine it going any yeah, other way. So, uh, yeah, uh, it, it it got a little dusty in the theater for me. And uh, <laughs> and it was it was beautiful in its own weird, fast and furious way. And and uh, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was perfect. I'm so glad they didn't kill him off. I think it was it was really perfect. Yeah. And the way the the before credits roll, it says for Paul on a completely white screen. And you just realize that this movie, you know, although it made $150 million and this is an easy cash grab for as of now, they could just keep cranking these out and people will see him, but they really finished this movie for Paul. You know, Mm -hmm. they, they could have easily said, you know what guys, let's just not do this. This doesn't feel right at all. But they knew that Paul wanted them to do this. You know, they, they finished it in his honor really as a memorial to him. And, you know, that was touching as well, uh, the little note at the end. So, totally. Man, this is going to be a high grade for me, guys. This is going to be a. Uh, this is going to be a solid A. Um, I was going to go A minus, but the way it ends is just. It, it, it gave me the best feeling. I mean, I was so like, I don't know, emotional. And, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not big into this series, but. Just thinking about the real life implications of it and all that, and mm-hmm. and that's well, that's what sealed the deal for me was you know it went about it the exact right way. So solid A for me. Uh, what are you gonna give it, Brian? Yeah, I'm gonna go a little bit lower. I, I think I'll go with the A minus. It's 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 not. I, there's a lot of issues with the direction, and I really wish that that Justin Lin would have been around for it, especially given that that's that it ended up being Paul Walker's last ride. And so, uh, but because I love these characters, because the action set pieces are so fantastic, and um, and I, I think you, I think we've got to give these actors credit because I don't know that this is <laughs> these are a lot of guys that I don't know that are supremely talented actors, but they are supremely talented at this, at being these characters, and at and at living in this universe. Um, and I thought whatever issues small and large that I had with direction, the cast kind of carried it through those situations in addition to, you know, jumping cars out of an airplane and stuff like that. That definitely helps, uh, alleviate some of the frustration that you might have with plotting when it's just like, Oh, they're just going to parachute out of car out of an airplane. Awesome. I'm okay with that. So I'm going to go with an a minus and I, I could see myself dropping it a little lower, uh, but I did. I'm with you, Ken. I loved that last 
that last sequence with with Paul Walker felt very fitting and it kind of it gave me a good feeling walking out of the theater that I might not have had otherwise. Richard? Yeah, Fast Five was A and then 10 pluses. Fast (laughs) Six was A and six pluses. This is A and four pluses. Sweet. Kind of ripping off my F minus minus minus, but it's still patent pending, so it's I'll let it slide this time. Okay, guys. Uh, before we get out of here, let's hit a quick recommend. Weekly recommends. Okay, I'm going to recommend a documentary that aired last week. Darn it, um, Kent. I have to think of something else. What? Why? Because you're doing the Scientology documentary. Well, I'm doing the Scientology documentary. <laughs> um, That's the name of it. It's I'm going to recommend the do- documentary on HBO, Going Clear. I saw it. I got you guys to see it. I think it's worth a episode. Um, but, you know, the window is probably closed for, for that at this point. Uh, we super interesting. We don't um, have money for lawyers. We, so. Yeah, we can't. Ton of, we're big in the Scientology uh, community. Um, <laughs> a lot of, lot of loyal listeners. from A lot of Clearwater downloads. Right, exactly. Sea Org. Yeah. <laughs> and... I mean, what an eye-opening documentary. It's groundbreaking. It's polarizing. It's controversial. It's everything I love in a documentary. Um, It's worth pirating. Like the jinx. Do it. See it. Educate yourself. Going clear. The The book as well is great. The Larry Wright book. Lawrence Wright book. I I think I made that my weekly recommend probably about six months ago, maybe. Um, Great. And so anything with this series is really fascinating, really interesting. It's, It's incredible. It's an incredible documentary, and it just sheds light on so many areas of our culture, uh, loopholes and tax evasion, and uh, you know the fact that Tom Cruise will never be an American treasure. <laughs> and hey, don't don't be so sure. You still got two votes that can get him in. You're talking oh, to. Oh, jeez. Well, if you ever, if you guys still want to do a podcast, that will not be happening. Uh, but we, um, Alex Gibney is a very talented. Uh, documentarian and you know a lot of his stuff I'm just hugely fascinated by he's he's the man who brought us the Armstrong lie last year did you guys ever see that yeah no the I, Lance Armstrong documentary I heard it was great but I'm just so I, I have so little interest in anything involving the Lance Armstrong saga that I just kind of tuned out yeah and he's doing a Steve Jobs uh, documentary next it comes yeah. out later this year it's called Man yeah. and the Machine um the Steve Jobs movie comes out. It's supposed to be the most realistic look at at his life, but cool. I, I loved uh, I love the Armstrong lie. I love the Last Gladiators, which was about uh, hockey players and guys that just literally put their bodies on the line just as enforcers. You know, they they were they sucked at hockey, but they could beat people up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that was great. I love this Catching Hell. Uh, that's my favorite thirty for thirty about yeah, Steve that's, Bartman. That's, a great one. that's yeah. very that very good. And you know, this guy is has a lot of talent. He's doing a actually Gonzo too. The Hunter S Thompson one based yeah. off that oral history is great. It's good. And he's doing a Janis Joplin, uh, documentary too. So that's going to be good. So look, look out for that. But, uh, going clear, uh, Scientology and the prison of belief is what it's called. Uh, so check it out on HBO. That's my recommend. Uh, Richard, it's mine too. So I'm just going to double down on it. Can that is that legal? I can counsel. <laughs> I think that's I'll check legal. with the lawyers. They say for, it's good. 
or I can, or I can recommend uh, WrestleMania 31. You should go back and watch that. <laughs> okay, Brian. My recommend is going to be a movie <laughs> from my uh, my youth that is just I just discovered yesterday is coming to Blu-ray uh, on Tuesday, and I'm very excited about this. And I don't know if either of you have ever even seen this movie or care about it. It was in my contention. When we did our top ten movies of all time, our favorite movies of all time, it was it was in contention for a spot on the list. I is think it, it no ultimately got cut. What did you say? Sorry. Is, is it a no name Norm? Yes, obviously. Uh, okay. I have no idea what that is. That's that's new for you don't me. Don't know a gnome named Norm. It's a no. late 80s, 90s kind of ET ripoff about a gnome. Okay, whose name's Norm, but Norm with a G in front of it. Nice. Ah, I like that. That's actually uh, Richard's recommend for the week. It's strange. No, uh, the movie is called Empire Records, and it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and I love it. And I've been waiting for it to come to Blu-ray forever uh, because the DVD version I have is not great and also is one of those uh, Warner Brothers ones that has that weird tab on the front of it. You know what I'm talking about? The little black case, which I hate, and I want to scrub all of those from my my, – shelves so uh empire records is my recommend get it on blu-ray it's like 13 bucks on amazon right now and it uh is a little glimpse of my teenage years i think i love that movie oh good it's so good and it made zero dollars when it came out like it was one of the biggest flops of all time uh in, in a from the sense of like it was in theaters for a week and no one saw it and then suddenly i think when it came out on vhs for whatever reason my whole generation was like hey this movie's great maybe we should enjoy it and and uh keep and grab onto it so Liv tyler, I, i'm, I'm prime stoked time, about Liv tyler it. yeah yeah tyler renee zellweger yet another uh, uh classic 90s ethan Embry comedy yeah i yes, just can't get yes. behind ethan Embry for some reason he bothers me that's <laughs> well, the only reason i've never been super into this movie is because i just he, i find him disconcerting he he's great in this in that role i'll say it's it's oh he's great in that thing you do and in can't hardly yeah. wait yeah, but absolutely. hasn't done anything really since unless you're a big fan of Once Upon a Time here he's a <laughs> big player in that in that nice. show but he was he was in Dorothy and the Witches of Oz which is a personal favorite of mine just now finding out that Anthony Paglia the lead uh-huh. guy is Australian I had no idea breaking nice. news well we'll end it on an inter- interesting note this week. Um, Brian, Brian, (laughs) where can I find your work on the, on the internet? You can find me on the Twitter at bgill 12 Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden or at richardbarden.com. Kent, where can I find you? On the internet at Kent Garrison on Twitter and find our show online at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Find all of our American treasures on there. All of our weekly recommends on there. Every single episode and once again, if you would like to help keep this show going, you can do so by donating. And just so just click uh, the donate button. And on that note, until next week, we'll see you at the cinema. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling, toss salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. But I don't know what to do with those tossed down and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya-ya. Tossed down and
Again, 